Before we begin our study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. This is always such an exciting moment when we roll the Torah scroll back and begin again our annual cycle of readings. In our last readings in Deuteronomy, we are reading about uh, the last days of Moses and the time of his death. The last few words of Torah could not have been written by Moses because Moses was dead. Nor could they have been written by an eyewitness. They were communicated by the Spirit of God, perhaps to Joshua or another, who wrote them down for our safekeeping because only the Lord was present at the burial of Moses. The scripture says that Moses died and the Lord buried him. There are some alternative translations, all of which are based on the idea that the Lord can't bury anybody. However, the scripture indicates that it was the Lord himself who did the burying. So it's a provocative thought that Moses' life comes to an end, but life continues. Israel still has a future, and Moses, though he has passed away, is under the safeguarding care of the Lord, who personally took responsibility for his burial. And it's a wonderful picture of what it means to trust the Lord for salvation and to trust the Lord for resurrection life as well. Then we roll the Torah scroll back and we come to the very beginning, Barashit, and we read once again those profound words from the book of Genesis, Barashit. Barashit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it uses this very special word, bara, to describe the creation. It's the creation out of nothing. And God can do that, you and I really can't. We can work with materials, we can work with stuff. We can even work with our ideas and bring that into the material world. But to create everything out of nothing is the exclusive work of God. And the scripture tells us that not only did God create, but he spoke. He spoke and things came into existence. He spoke and things came to pass. And then he does something remarkable, and I thank D. Crow for sharing this with me the other day. He looks, and those of you who are involved in uh, quantum physics, which I am not, <laughs> but you may be familiar with the idea that, that um, energy could be in various states, and until it's observed, it's not define what its state is. And I don't really understand that. I just said it. However, what's interesting is the Lord calls things into existence, and then he looks at those things, and, and we, we see in, for instance, verses 9 and 10, the Lord said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear, and it was so. 
And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. So not only do you have the creation, you've got the observation. And when God looked at his creation, he was saying, this is good. And when he looked at mankind, he said, this is very good. So this is the condition that he created the world in. He created us in good condition, and then he gave us opportunity to try to live in, in, in light of that great quality of creation. We didn't really do so well. And in many ways, we're not doing so well, still. I love coming back to Genesis because it brings us back to the beginning, which is one of the most important ideas. There is a beginning. And God is at the beginning and before the beginning, and then with us through the beginning, and then he continues to be with us all the way up until now, and he will be with us for eternity. He's the God of heaven, and he is also the God of earth. Now sometimes we think of God as being distant and so otherly that we imagine he's really the God of heaven, but he's not the God of earth. And when we look at the condition of the earth, we think, where is God? But the answer is he's here. And he's especially here dwelling with those who have put their trust in him, have put their confidence in him, and have received reconciliation to him through the atoning sacrifice of Messiah, and who then have gone on to live with God in this earth with faith and trust. It's our great responsibility. It's our great opportunity to represent the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, to show the love of God, not just in religious ways, but in practical ways, to show love to other people. And that is part of our great challenge as well. So we have a new beginning, but I was thinking about this. Some people think about new beginnings and they think this is an opportunity to wipe the slate clean and to start completely over. And for some people, life has been such a disaster that that's what you would want. But for most people, a new beginning is a little different than that. You get to start again, but it's not without the good that you've already experienced. You're not starting again with total ignorance. You're not starting in diapers. You're not starting in total dependence on your parents. You are starting with ability. You're starting with some riches that have already been entrusted to you by God. And if you think about losing all of that in order to start again, you might not want to make the trade. Sometimes, you know, since I've been 30, I've been 30 for a long time. <laughs> I remember when I was 30 again. <laughs> but sometimes I have this idea, oh, wouldn't it be great to be a teenager again? <laughs> you act like you know what I was like when I was a teenager. <laughs> And you're right, you're right. You know, sometimes we think of a new beginning and a fresh start as going back to a previous moment in time and then starting from there. And honestly, I do not want to rewind the clock because good things have happened since then. 
And I'm glad to be in this part of my life right now. I'm not wishing that I could just rewind things and get a second chance to do again what I had to do. How many of you want to go through your senior high uh, exams one more time? (laughs) Okay, a few of you. Well, I recommend the GED program. It's, it's hard, yeah, that's work. In fact, I think, when we make a new beginning, we have the opportunity to make a new beginning in a redeemed way, bringing with us the good that God has given us so far. So we're not coming empty-handed. We're not coming without experience, but we are able to sift through the experience that we've had and to choose how to go on forward. I'm gonna go forward with gladness. I wanna go forward with joy. I wanna go forward as if this is a new chapter, not a new life. The life God has given me so far has been a good life, I'm glad for it. So it's good for us to go back to Genesis and to read afresh what the scriptures teach us as the foundations. Because really, faith in God is impossible if you can't trust God regarding verse one, chapter one of Genesis. If you want to leave God out of creation, then you've left him out of everything. But once you acknowledge and once you recognize that that material, Mass and energy did not just self-organize into you, but that you were created as an intentional act of a creating God. Once you recognize that this world has structure to it and order to it, it helps you understand how to live in this world. And as much as we're looking forward to living with God forever, we want to remember something. To prepare to live with God forever, you have to live with God now, today, and tomorrow. So we remind ourselves as we're reading this that God creates. And verse 2 tells us something. The earth was without form and, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's just acknowledge this, that Torah describes the Spirit of God as an active presence of God here on this earth. Do you see that? So you don't have to wait for Pentecostalism to emerge, for the idea that the Spirit of God would be present. You don't have to wait for a charismatic outpouring. You don't have to wait for anything. Creation begins with the active presence of the Spirit of God. Now, the Spirit of God is present, but there's more to come. For instance, it's God's plan, which we'll read as we go through the Brita It's God's plan to fill everyone with the Spirit of God. So that the Spirit of God actually takes up residence inside of you, and me, and then together we are bound together into a living community that becomes a holy sanctuary for God, and together we can do something for God and for this world that we could not do without the Spirit and without one another. 
But we read this, God creates, God moves by his spirit, and then something that's utterly provocative, God speaks. God speaks. Now that tells us something. Speech requires what? Words. Words require vocabulary, meaning, understanding. They have power. God uses words in order to create. It's an interesting idea. God uses his ability to communicate in words as the very foundation that is the underpinning for the scriptures. The scriptures are what? The word of God. So God uses the word and uses words in order to communicate reality to us. Now, there are some people who think that because the first five books of Moses are called the Torah, and because Torah can be translated as law, that this is primarily a book of laws, rules, and regulations. And that raises the question, why would you begin here, which is not about laws? Well, it's better to understand that Torah means instruction rather than law. However, well, you can test your attitude about instructions. Guys, I'll, I'll pull you first. You, you get a new gadget, you open the box. How many of you are like me, you turn it on and want to start using it immediately? And how many are not like me? You wait to turn it on, you carefully read all the instructions. Antonio! Luke, really? Wow! I see two, are there more than two? Three, Brian, really? Okay, now I'm only pulling the guys first. Yeah, a lot of the women are going, of course I read the instructions. Yeah, well that's interesting. You guys are outliers. That word needs to be carefully analyzed. Outlier means you're on the uh, statistical extreme. It's not a form of liar. It's a form of out. Outlier. Okay. I don't know what I'm saying. God speaks in Torah, and the idea is we will receive instruction. Sometimes instruction needs to be given step by step. Here are the ways you do this. These are the details you need to know. Sometimes instruction, especially moral instruction, is given by the telling of stories. Children's fairy tales are one of the ways of communicating moral instruction to, to children. Sharing your life story, one generation will declare the works of God to another generation. It's not just giving the rules, but it's telling the story as well. How has God moved? In what way has he revealed himself? How have we responded to that? That is what the book of Genesis is introducing us to. It's that God is alive and he's present and he is in the midst of human history. So God speaks. And then we learn something else, that God creates in an orderly way, but in fantastic ways. Now there's a wonderful debate going on somewhere 
about whether the seven days are seven days or seven other kinds of days. Like how long is a day and, and are they 12 hour dark and 12 hour light and are they lunar and solar and all of that? And I'm setting all of that aside. But I want to, I want to point out something that's really, really important. The fact that God creates in a systematic way, the fact that he creates on a primordial day, whatever that is, he creates. And then the next day, he creates what is dependent on having been created earlier. And then he creates again. He continues to create in an orderly fashion, but it's utterly fantastic and amazing. And this is why it, is, it would not be difficult for God to create in 24-hour equivalent days. Do you agree with that? I mean, for God, he can do anything, right? He can speak and make it come to pass. There's no question that he wants us to regard each of those days as if they were days. But here's the thing we have to understand. He didn't create everything in one day. He created systematically and in an orderly fashion. But it's amazing that he created like this. And this is one of the most important things that you and I need to grasp, is that God works in orderly ways, but his orderliness is utterly fantastic. It's utterly amazing. Now this is important for helping us understand how to live our lives here and now, because there are some people who recognize that God creates in fantastic ways, but they don't recognize he creates in orderly ways. And so their life is, is disorderly, and they're expecting only supernatural moments of creation to substitute for orderliness. But the scripture teach us, teaches us <laughs> I set that alarm on purpose. so that I could hear it, and I wasn't thinking you could hear it, but better that you know we're coming to the end. <laughs> because we're trying to do this in an orderly way. And if we actually get to the end, it will be fantastic. <laughs> so to embrace God, who is a fantastic creator, we also want to embrace him as an orderly creator as well. These are not in, um, in opposite poles, they're working together. In God, these are united perfectly. So he wants us to learn to be orderly, and he wants us to learn to be fantastic in what we do as well. Something else I think that's really important here in Genesis is that he creates first things first. He takes care of foundational things in order to prepare for the next things. This is immensely important because sometimes we're in such a hurry that we don't recognize that some things must happen for other things to happen. Yeshua had to deal with this with his disciples. They were ready to get on with the victories 
and the rulership of Messiah and God ruling from Jerusalem, but they weren't ready to do what was necessary to get there. Because part of getting there, remember Yeshua said, was that he had to suffer and he would be crucified. And everybody said, bad idea. Can we just get to the seventh day? And he said, no, it's the third day. I'll rise again. Well, can't we skip the stuff before? No. But we don't want to do this. And he said, there's no other way. And then even at that last night, he, at Passover, he articulates the human, the human struggle in, in giving voice to that cry to our Father in heaven when he says, take this cup from me. And then he backs off and says, not my will, but your will be done. And in this way, he reveals to us one of the secrets about how to live in this world for God now. You give voice to the struggle, and then you submit that to God. And rather than let your will dominate you, you express your will to God and then submit it to God and then allow his will to have the highest priority. How should we pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that is a absolutely optimistic view about the power of God to be present in this broken world now. It happens when people like you and people like me say, not my will, your will. And we don't pretend that we don't have a struggle. It's that we bring our struggle to God and we say, what I need is what you have. Because this is part of the story. You see, God creates, creates Adam and then he creates woman out of man. And together they're left in, an, in a perfect place to choose how to live. And they immediately fall into human frailty and into human rebellion that starts with what? Independence. And then it moves into sin. And from there, it follows a very clear process. Independent men and women decide they can live without God. That they have the means of deciding well, and so they do, and they disregard anything that God has said. Or they put it in a lesser place, and then they move forward in life. And what happens is brokenness and trouble. Broken relationships, not only with God, but with people. And then that moves into something else, to two things. One, that we see in the story of Adam, that when, when we exercise independence from God, and we don't acknowledge that we need to stay close to him, then we start hiding from him. When he comes close, we try to hide. And we're like those little kids. We cover our eyes. You can't see me. And he comes close. Boo. 
he comes close anyway. And when we're hiding, he calls out to us. And there's this human condition that we have to, have to deal with, that not only are we hiding, but we're reluctant to come out of hiding. And we're afraid because of our guilt. What will happen if I come close to the one who I'm hiding from? And the answer is, then we have to deal with this brokenness, this sin, this independence gone astray. We have to deal with it. And if we don't, we're left with the rest of a future, which is a broken future that results in enmity and conflict and then murder. And this is the way that humanity goes. We started out okay, we started out with goodness, but left to our own devices, we get ourselves in trouble on day one. And we keep going. But there's a remedy, and the remedy, in a sense, is really simple. The remedy is you can't keep doing what you were doing. The remedy is to get out of that cycle of independence and separation from God and to come close to him. And that's what Genesis is leading us to. If you want to have a family that follows God, you've got to take those steps yourself in order to lay a foundation for those that are part of your family. You can't just tell them to do it. As you do it, they can do it with you. It's a beautiful story that we're reading about. And it helps us understand how to live in this world and how to be useful to other people. When we understand that we are the ones who went into hiding, it's not that Adam went into hiding, because there are people who say, well, I don't even believe in Adam. Well, do you believe that you exist? (laughs) And that there was someone before you? Well, keep going until there wasn't anyone before them. Start with that. And understand that you go into hiding, we all do. We all go into hiding when we feel guilty. We all go into hiding, and the cure is to come out of hiding when God comes close, and to confess our sin to him. That's what we have been doing from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, and that's what we're doing in a sense even now. We're saying, Lord, the only solution for my life is to deal with everything that pulled me away from you. For everything that broke me and everything that ruined me, I have to deal with that, and I can't deal with it on my own. That's what got me into trouble. I have to deal with it with you. And when we do that, you know what? It really is a new beginning. And so it's fresh for us to to read Genesis again and to look at our own beginnings and to say, aha, though I'm following the Lord right now, I need to think again how to make this fresh and new. And I can tell you there's one simple thing I'm wanting to do in this next year, and that is to focus on things that are very important but have no urgency. These are the things that can be easily missed. Urgent things can crowd out the important things. How many have verified that? How many have learned through time management programs that If you schedule everything that has to be done, there may not be time for the things that are really important that are not pressing on you. 
But if you schedule time for the things that are really important, then some of the things that are urgent just can't be done. Maybe. In which case you find you don't have time for the unimportant. But for me, I want to use this next year, this year that we are now in, to attend to some things that I know are very important but have no sense of urgency. The only way I can do that is if I recognize their importance and my wife is like, hallelujah. (laughs) Finally. And I'm saying hallelujah. And I think the Lord is saying, finally. But I want to encourage you not only to consider the the same kind of reprioritization for yourself, but to stand with me as I do it and to help me move forward in this way. Because I think that if I can do it, you can do it. And I think if you can do it, I can do it. And I think if we can do it, we can have a greater impact on more and more people. And we can see what God wants to do activated expressed and realized in front of our very eyes. So I'm making this new year an exciting year for myself. I have no sense of urgency about it, only importance. So pray with me right now. Lord, thank you for showing us first things. And we want to make important things first things. Open our hearts, open our minds, that we would be able to structure our, our very lives and our schedule to attend to the things that are of utmost importance. And let it be, Lord, that we give the greatest weight to the greatest commands, to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. So let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you to give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Get your kids and join us next door.